spit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the On Blast podcast. Where, as always, we, we just like give you our thoughts. It's just my thoughts, man. Right or wrong, just what we're feeling at the time. All right. I am uh, Sheldon Alexander here with Mr. Andrew Webster. Another late night session. Another late night on blast podcast, as always, unpolished and unapologetic. Now, again, I mean, as I look back at this weekend, the Remy yeah. Ma versus Nikki thing happened. I was like, okay, that's a pretty decent topic. It's something to talk about. The right. Raptor situation with Lowry was interesting on Friday when he realized that he wasn't playing. I was like, all right, that's an interesting topic. The Oscars we knew had the potential to be something that we'd want to talk about. Right. And then everything just snowballed and snowballed into the point where today, when I saw you at work, I was like, okay, yeah, we got to do this tonight, right? Like, it was just such a crazy weekend. And, like, the exact reason why it's great to do a, a pop culture podcast that involves sports and movies and music and pop culture, because everything just seems so wrapped into one. You're never you're never hurting for a story if you keep, if you keep pop culture and sports like in your Rolodex, you know. It's like there's always something going on. And this weekend, you didn't even bring up that we were going to see Serge Ibaka and PJ Tucker play for the Raptors for the first time. Exactly. You know, right. and and you didn't even bring up the fact that Future put out two new albums since the last time we thought. Like everything is just so crazy. What a time to be alive, one might say. Right? Yeah, as Future would say, exactly. <laughs> So where do you want to start? I feel like we got to start with the Oscars. Like that makes the it, most sense. It, it, we got to go with the, with the craziest shit I've ever seen in my life. And that Oscars, the, the last five minutes of the Oscars is some of the craziest shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But you got to understand, I'm a, I'm a huge cinephile. Like like our boy Adnan Burke, I'm a huge movie guy. Shouts and to I watch the, I watch the Oscars every year and I've never seen anything like that. So here's the thing, right? Like, as we're we're blurring, we're saying the lines are blurred between sports and pop culture. I mean, talk about a crazy finish going down to the wire, right? In terms of the Oscars, like normally no. some things might happen, but nothing even close to that, right? Like I assume at this point, everyone by now knows what happened in the sense of Warren Beatty and your boy Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway oh, are up man. there. It, you know, but see, I, people are saying that he's taking the big L. I say that it's it's Faye Dunaway because Beatty hands that. Beatty hands off that envelope like, uh, you know, Donovan McNabb putting it in the chest of Brian Westbrook, you know? <laughs> like, it is just, it is such a handoff move. And then he leaves her to say, you know, oh, and the winner is. And you know that, like, I mean, these two, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, are, are older. You know, they're in their late 60s, early 70s. Oh, yeah. The eyes aren't working like they should. True. And that was a, like, funny part about it, right? Because after the, like, 85th, thousandth time that we've all probably broken down that video in slow-mo on Twitter <laughs> last night, right? You notice that there's a moment where you can see Warren Beatty, like the wheel turning in his head where he looks at it, he sees something's wrong, he takes a peek back into the uh, into the envelope to see if something's there, and then just passes it off, right? Like you can see the wheels turning where he thinks something might be wrong, but he doesn't really know what to do. So he's like, uh, here you go. And hands it off. The other thing is, too, he's too scared to say, hey, listen, this says La La Land and Best Actress. And I don't know, like, we should, like, he, he should have stopped the show right there and been like, hey, I think there's something wrong. We got to look at these envelopes. 
but he he and Faye just roll with the punches and just wind up with one of the most awkward things ever on live television. Now, you and I, we work in TV, yep. and we work in uh, production trucks, and we know what it's like behind the scenes, and you've got to expect that at the Oscars in the control room, they were just going nuclear when that happened. Yeah, like, I can't even fathom what anything like that would be. I mean, I've worked, you know, whether it's Raptors games or, like, you know, Vanier Cups, but nothing even remotely close to like the big time production that an Oscar award show would be. And like, I've done the job where you're the guy with the headset on and you're in charge of like when people got to go, when people got to, you know, like when you're queuing like different things and commercial breaks and all that fun stuff. Like I can't even fathom like how much goes into that. But with that said, Webby, I don't know if you've seen what's come out really today where the blame is being shifted to. And it's uh, one of the guys from... Uh, what's it called? The water, the uh, Price Waterhouse uh, Cooper. Yes. Yeah. Like, have you seen the <laughs> what's going on today? Like, I saw they had the cover, the New York Post. If you go to Twitter, the cover yeah. of tomorrow's New York Post is just absolutely outstanding. And it's one of those things where we all know by now what the New York Post does, but still, like, they take things to a whole other level. And they have this picture of this guy, and it says. Uh, what a twit is the headline yeah. and it nice. says Oscar's accountant too busy tweeting stars to hand BD the right winner so they, they found the guy's tweets they found the guy's tweet and he's taking uh. a picture of Emma Stone holding her Oscar's trophy and it says best actress Emma Stone backstage now you would have to assume for him to be taking that picture this has to be around the time where Warren Beatty's going on stage with said envelope so it says in the little uh, sidebar here, meet the starstruck accountant who torpedoed the Oscars. Oh. And they're saying uh, he was busy swapping, a, snapping a picture of Emma Stone and tweeting it when he was supposed to be checking the envelope that he handed Warren Beatty. So, I mean, yesterday or last night, the question would have been, who do you blame? But I think by now, given time, we know who we're blaming, right? Uh, man, yeah, it, it's it's the downfall of, of everything, man. It, they're going to find your tweets. They found Ken Bones' tweets, and they found the PricewaterhouseCoopers guy's tweets. Like, it gets you every time, man. So the weird thing is, too, like, I've been watching Oscars for as long as I can remember. There's always something in the ceremony that kind of that advertises PricewaterhouseCoopers. Like, they're always like, hey, these are the guys who are in charge of the security of the envelopes. They're the ones who handle it. This year, there wasn't that segment in the Oscars. How weird is that? That is super odd. And can I just ask you, too, like, you were watching the show live. Like, what did you think right when it was happening? Like, take me back to, like, what was going on as that moment happened for you? Well, man, honestly, I, like, I mean, I was totally shocked by it. But, you know, it's, it was bound to happen. You know, it's one of these things that you never think is going to happen, but it's always in the back of your mind. Whenever you're watching any award show, you're like, man, what if, what if they messed up and just <laughs> said the wrong name? And there's been stories about it kind of happening on the on the DL back in the past, but this was so blatant that you're like, well, I guess they finally ran out of luck. This was bound to happen. And I got to give it up to the La La Land people who were up on the stage. The guy who came out was like, hey, Moonlight won. You guys won. Like, he didn't need to be as, as good as he was. Yeah, he and handled the other that really thing well. Is, with this whole controversy, it kind of takes away the fact that a movie like Moonlight won the Academy Award. I mean, like, it's a movie that was made for, like, a million bucks or something. Like, 
some really low, low yeah, budget. I and was it's watching not subject matter that's usually winning the Academy Awards, right? It's about like a black kid in uh, urban Miami and he's growing up gay, right? Like, so for this to win is a huge deal and it's kind of been overshadowed by this crazy controversy, right? Yeah, you're totally right. And I mean, the day after, obviously all the talk is about the mistake and who's to blame and what happened and all that stuff. And you're totally right. Like we're missing the point of like a great, amazing accomplishment. And it actually sucks like even more for those people because now like everyone surrounding Moonlight, when they're interviewed last night after the award show, they're interviewed today and whatever, the first question they're getting is all about how that moment happened. And you're almost right. And like, that's a moment that was kind of ruined for them, for lack of a better term. I mean, yeah, it'll go down in like Oscars history, but at the same time, like that was their moment. That was their time to shine. And the other thing Webby kept wondering about was what would have happened if the La La Land people just gave a shorter speech? Right, like, because I mean, I know it's the last. Or the show ended, and and then nobody found out until after. Yeah, like what would have happened? And I thought like they were pretty slow to react. Like I think two guys were giving their speeches before you see my dude yeah, appear with his headphones. Right. It took yeah. so long for that to happen that like, what if you know they just gave a quick speech and they were gone? Like it was just such a weird thing. And I know everyone's talking about you know how much worse it would have been if the roles were reversed in the movie. Well, that. that's what I thought, too. Like, if the roles were reversed and Moonlight got up there and thought they had won, and then La La Land came out, in this, like, political climate going on in the States, it would have been just, it would have been a mess, man. Oh, it would have been crazy. Uh, my next question for you, Webby, do you think this was crazier than Steve Harvey? Or way worse? Like, do you think it was worse than Steve Harvey? Do you think it was worse than another crazy award show moment, Kanye West and Taylor? Like, I think, I think, think this so ranks? Just, just because of the stage it was on and because the Oscars are seen as like the prestige award show and like it's the big one, it's the one that counts. And for something like this to happen, um, something like we talked about, like something that's such a big deal that has such a huge crew and for it to kind of be derailed by the simple little mistake is hilarious. Yeah, and it's so crazy too that like of all the awards, it would be the biggest award and last award of the night, right? right. Like my dude had That's one cool. last job to do and he messed it up. You waited through the whole show with so many moving parts, so many things going on, and on the last award this happens, right? It's crazy. Now, my question is for you, have you seen Moonlight? I have not seen Moonlight. I have ah, not seen see, it. I, yeah, I saw Moonlight and I, I, it was really good. It was unbelievable what the guy did for kind of the budget that he had but he got some great performances by that uh the guy who's on your, your boy remy from house of cards yeah yeah, is, yeah yeah is really good in it and then the 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 main character when he's grown up is really badass mm-hmm. and he's gonna be in the new predator movie i'm fired up for that because i'm a big predator guy all right all right i also heard yeah. that they filmed the entire movie in like 25 days or something like that yeah it was a really weird stat i think it was 25 days but that's like that just sounds like an amazing like just accomplishment and uh who's the female lead in the movie i forget oh, her name mom. yeah she was up for an award too yeah they said that like she shot all her scenes in five days That's like crazy. it's just such a crazy production when you think of like everything that goes into that and and you know to be for lack of a better term a small budget movie but then to reach such heights like that's such an amazing like an inspirational story just for people being able to create. And, you know, the award they won earlier when uh, the guy was up there talking about, you know, like he was shouting out his area code, just saying, you know, like 
it's yeah. bigger than just them. Like this is just two dudes from a place where you're not expecting people to be able to create something on yeah. the level of winning an Oscar, right? And and he's right. Like you're that stage is the biggest stage in terms of creating and and having you know kind of that that stage where you can show people, "Hey, Thing, like we can create things. It doesn't matter where you come from, what walk of life you are. Like, well, we that's can what's create. so awesome about Moonlight too is that it goes to show that art can come from great art can come from anywhere. You know, it's just got to get a chance. And then once you get that chance, it's what you can do with it. And those guys, Barry Jenkins and the guys who made that movie, they got their chance and they they swung at their pitch, they shot their shot, and they nailed it. You know, and hopefully it leads to like a long career of of, of a lot of success, man. Now, one, one other Oscar thing before we go, before not before we go, but before we move on, is uh, did you see the OJ documentary? Because that oh, won yes. Best Documentary this year. Definitely, I saw the OJ doc. I was all over that. Um, I was like a crack fiend, like just waiting for the next episode to <laughs> yeah. come. Like it was crazy. Like and, and in this era too where we don't really watch live TV ever, right? Like everything's basically off to PVR or something, right? Yeah, this was a yeah. thing where I couldn't wait, and I actually ended up watching it live because the experience, as well, of watching it on Twitter, you know, like you're watching with the room filled with other people sharing liked interests, and you know, like it was just such a great experience to be watching it with a room full of people sharing opinions and thoughts as you're going along with this incredibly told story. And it's one of those things where you think you know everything about this topic that's been done ten million times over. But instead, like they came at it from such a such complete different angles that just made the story so good. Yeah, and you you bring up a good point of uh, uh, an interesting point with the watching it while on Twitter because that that OJ chase scene was something that like got everybody the, to the TV, which was like the main like medium of getting your information. Yep, and and to like go through watching a documentary about that while on a social media site that is used to like follow along with everything. It's just like a, a, a cool kind of like connectivity between the two times, like the time you're watching and the time that you're, uh, the time that you're watching about like back in the early nineties. For sure. And the other thing too, like for something to get to be that critically acclaimed and also just like, you know, it was like a universal success for lack of a better term, right? Like yeah. it was critically acclaimed. It was like Twitter acclaimed. It was sports fans. It was non-sports fans. And for something that was so different too, in the fact that it was what, five, two hour parts. Yeah. yeah. Like that's so how like it aired. Seven, eight hours. Do you know what I mean? Like it's such a, you know, in this era where we're, con we were consuming six second vines for the longest time. You know what I mean? It was refreshing in a sense to see long form storytelling be so powerful, right? Like that to me was a major win of, uh, the OJ doc and the whole 30 for 30 series on that. So like huge shout out to that. And if you haven't yeah. seen that doc, make sure that you go see it, especially, I mean, and again, whether you're a sports fan, whether you're not a sports fan, whether you think you've heard enough about OJ or not, it's just a great, great story with a lot of different angles that, you know, have never really been dug into at that level before. Yeah, the runtime is long, but they flesh it out and they make it entertaining enough that it, it goes by super quick. And like, if you watch like two, an hour and a half every night, you'll be done the thing in four nights. You know, it'll you'll zoom right through it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, the couple last things from the Oscars. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, to me, just proved why I 
always been Kimmel over Fallon, and it's not even close. Like, oh, Jimmy Kimmel close. is amazing. Not, Jimmy's the man. Jimmy's the man. So good, right? And, like, obviously his team behind him, Cousin Sal and company, all the writers. Like, Adam Corolla, yeah. yeah. They did a great job. His opening monologue was good. Uh, the he, guests, the, the guys in the bus were great. I love I'm such a sucker for that kind of. Gary from shit. Chicago. So good, right? Like, so today would have been Gary Chicago. from Chicago's day. But instead, because of uh, Mr. Warren Beatty and my guy with his briefcase that can't. Uh, get the right envelope. Yeah, right. Uh, Gary from Chicago didn't get to have his day where he does the rounds, and he he we get to know more about Gary from Chicago. But how amazing was that? My guy's on national TV at the Oscars in his like basketball shorts while he's like videotaping everything on his phone. Like at first, I thought this has to be a gag, right? Like these are actors. That's what I thought. Like right off the bat, it had to be. They were way too real. Yeah, it was way too real. And Kimmel was like, you could tell that he was just kind of letting them go and and like jumping in when he could, which which again is a credit to him because I feel like a lot of people in that situation, they would have wanted it to be sort of scripted out with actors and like have like some written bit where he just kind of let it play itself. And I think like one of my favorite parts of it was they're going down the line and next to... Uh, when they spoke to Gary's wife and asked her, like, who would she most want to see? And she obviously says Denzel, like, not to <laughs> not to be the most obvious stereotype ever. But I'm pretty sure 99.9% of black women in that age bracket, in that demographic, is choosing Denzel Washington, right? Yeah, in they're that, not saying Gosling, they're not <laughs> saying Andrew Garfield, I know that. Right? Like, so crazy. But I was going to say, my next favorite part from that was when Jimmy Kimmel so subtly just slides into Gary and says... I noticed that you're only stopping for all of the black celebrities. I thought that was amazing. Because he did like oversell it. He did make a big deal about it. But he just acknowledged it and moved on. It was so good. Like Jimmy Kimmel to me is so, so talented. Which I know sounds like an obvious statement to make. But I think we kind of take them for granted. Where we see like all these guys who are performance guys, right? Like even with James Corden now and Colbert being able to do his political thing. Like... I, in terms of classic, just interview, like late night guy, I'm always going to be team Kimmel. Yeah. And he's the perfect guy for that show because he's like, he's funny and biting enough that you stay for the jokes, but he's also like wholesome enough that he can bring in the, the, like the family from Chicago, the tour bus, like he, he walks a really fine line and he does it really well. And he's perfect for these shows. And I mean, he, he, I hope he does it next year for sure. And like the other thing too, like he's he's quick and witty enough to like be able to play off of what just happened and have a joke right after. Yeah, right. Like I thought, and even just like even when he's not making a joke but making a joke, like I, the line that he had right after the OJ documentary one, and he just simply said like, "So am I not supposed to make a joke about OJ right now?" You know, like <laughs> just like ah, oh, so good, such a great show, and yeah. Shout out to Gary from Chicago. Hope he does, in fact, get his tickets to the Chicago Bulls game. And yeah. <laughs> everything from that, just happy, right? Just an amazing show. But I think... Hey, shout out, shout out to all the winners and shout out to everybody nominated. That's what I always say. Hey, I like that. I like that. <laughs> so from Gary to sh- getting to watch... Uh, from Gary from Chicago getting to watch a Bulls game, sticking with the NBA, I think we should switch to... What is going on with the Toronto Raptors? Like, what a crazy, you know, past four days it's been for the Raptors. And we'll start from 
Friday, no, I guess Thursday, where Kyle Lowry wasn't at practice and people were kind of like, oh, okay, well, he's just, he missed his flight. I think that was a word that came out, right? Like right. His, his travel was delayed. And then Thursday before game time, it's announced he's out with a wrist injury. And then now fast forward to Monday and he's out for the rest of the season. Like what? Like what just happened? I think I think it goes back even farther than that. I think it goes back to the All Star game where he's sitting on the bench with his wrist wrapped in ice, and it looks like he's got the Michelin Man around his arm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is a guy who shot like like donkey balls in the three point contest and played like what ten minutes in the All Star game, and it goes to sh- and, and he was hurt while he was doing it. Like I can understand the frustration from some Raptor fans where you're like. Man, there are more important things right now than getting your shots up in the three-point contest. We're like involved in a playoff race. We just made a big move to bring in some big pieces, and it's like, oh, you just want him to. If he's feeling anything in that wrist, maybe sit out the All-Star game, you know. But of course, if he does that, then maybe we're we're dissing him for doing that. But man, you look at the the Eastern Conference and you say it's a it's a long road back to where they were, kind of a quarter of the way through the season. Now, the big thing, the thing that they really have going for them is that Boston didn't get Jimmy Butler and didn't get Paul George. If that had happened, I think that Toronto's really, really under the gun. But they're still competitive, as we saw tonight against the Knicks. I mean, DeRozan, he can put the team on his back, but, like, it's going to be a long road to uh, to the end of the regular season, man. I'll tell you that. It is really crazy when you think about it. And you mentioned the trade deadline. And the thing that sticks out to me is what would have happened if they didn't make these trades for Serge Ibaka and uh, PJ Tucker? Not in the sense that, you know, like these guys are going to replace Kyle Lowry, but I just mean in terms of depth. Like how much more would you be forced to be relying on Bebe and Pirtle and Norm? And do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like for lack of a better term, you just like the biggest thing about PJ Tucker and the Serge Ibaka is you just brought in grown men. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Onto your team that now fill in a roster spot that add a level of depth that I can't even fathom how nervous Raptor Nation would be if they did not make those trades and then Kyle Lowry oh is God. out for the season. Right? Like, we'd be it'd be the, mass we'd be, chaos. We'd be hitting the red button right now. And the thing is, I mean, things have been good so far. They've won three in a row without Kyle. Um Three in a row without Kyle, four in a row overall, right? I think yeah. that's what it is. Anyways, I mean, the big part is you got two games coming up against Washington. So depending on whenever you're listening to this, the point that I'm trying to make, though, is they're kind of screwed. Like when we really dig into this season, you're kind of screwed because now you're trying to catch Washington. You're trying to catch Boston. You, you got to get out of that four or five seed because you do not want to play Cleveland in the second round. In the second round, yeah. Right? Because at the, at the end of the day, this season, I would, I think for most Raptor fans, especially after you make the trade for Serge Ibaka and then double down on PJ Tucker, if you don't make the conference finals, this season is a failure because you can't even use the excuse that Lowry's hurt because that's just a thing that happened, right? Like you moved your chips into the table and in the middle of the table and these are the cards that you had. And I mean, Kyle Lowry... I think he screwed the Raptors. Like, if you really break it down, like, I'm just going to be blunt. And I think that it's going to be so hard for them to get out of that fourth or fifth seed because it's great for DeMar to do this, you know, against the Knicks. But you look up and you see that he's being guarded by Derrick Rose. 
or the the artist formerly known as Derrick Rose, and can he keep this up and score at this level for the whole entire season? And then that's just in case Lowry is back to start the playoffs. Like we don't even know if that's for sure, right? No, exactly. You're absolutely right. Four to six weeks is one of those like vague injury times that could be like, uh, you know, six to eight or whatever. But like, the thing about it is, when is Larry? When does Larry become a free agent? When do we have to pay him again? Oh, at the is end that- of the season, he's a free agent at the end of the season. Okay, so now we've got four to six weeks to to see what Demar Derozan can do on his own. You know, yeah. And I think the Raptors are realistic. They know that getting that two seed in the East with the hand that they've been dealt is going to be a tough ask. Yeah. But but here's the thing: they've got to be realistic and lock down a home first round playoff series. They have to do that. If they, if they don't do that, if they can't get, I think you see, you say if they don't make the Eastern conference finals, it's a, it's a loss. I think that if they make the second round and they put up a good fight against the Cavs, then it's not because you've been, you added these two pieces late and maybe just too late that you could really make a push for that two seed in the East and really making a run at Cleveland. See, I don't know. I think I go the other way because I think that this playoff run was going to be a huge deciding factor of what you do next with this team. And yeah, you brought in Surge, which makes you legitimate contenders in the East going forward, for sure. But Kyle Lowry, are you going to max out Kyle Lowry? I know this injury changes a lot, but we got to also look at the fact that this uh, four to six weeks or five weeks, whenever he's supposed to be back, that timing is basically the last game or two before the playoffs start so basically you're going into a situation where it's just like last year you have a banged up Kyle Lowry to start the playoffs we kind of saw how that went last year and it did not go well and I know I'm I'm like the I've been known to be called a pessimistic Raptors fan but if you go back to last year and remember the playoffs that was a bumpy bumpy ride in the playoffs with Kyle and DeMar both struggling go three rounds when you get into the Eastern Conference Finals you're going to be taking your lumps you're going to have to be physically able to to stand up and and last especially if you're going seven games in some of these series you got to be in peak physical shape you know but I'm saying they struggled last year against two teams that weren't really that good when you really break it down like was indiana really that good and well, if they, not they for, had the best player in the series though they definitely had the best player in the series and if we really break it down if not for frank vogel in game five remember he left paul george on the bench they were up yeah. big he left paul george on the bench maybe a little too long the bench mob came in led by norm brought the raptors right. back like that completely changed the series right there raptors obviously go on and win in seven and then d wade essentially ran out of fumes in the second in the yeah. second round but again like they barely squeaked by against teams that really weren't that good so i mean again shout out to Masai and weltman who doesn't get nearly enough credit no one ever was well, mentioning yeah. jeff weltman but like shout out to them for getting Serge Ibaka and PJ Tucker, who are grown men, who are just not going to let this team collapse down the stretch. Because I have no idea what would be what we'd be talking about right now if the Raptors did not make that move. You would honestly be talking about like Kyle Lowry really like let his team down. Because at the end of the day, I don't know if you saw the presser today, but I, I hesitate when I'm saying this, but it was an awkward press conference to watch because right. the the media was hesitant about how they were going to ask Kyle Lowry how this happened. Right? Exactly. 
he has kind of a weird relationship with the media and they're kind of tiptoeing around just asking the flat out question of, well, when did you get hurt and why did you continue to participate during All-Star Weekend if your mm-hmm. wrist was, if you had a bum wrist? Right? Like I, I thought that was the weirdest part of this whole thing because that those but are the answers that we still don't have. Them. Those are the answers we still don't have, but that's what everyone wants to know, right? Like, yeah, why would you exactly. take part in All-Star Weekend if you knew you had a bum wrist? It, it's something that he has to answer, I think. But I he, mean, I really do. He, uh, just he, kept, he has to. He just kept saying that he doesn't know when it happened, and he's unsure how it happened, and he just woke up and it felt worse, and at some point, certain points it got a bit better, but then it got worse again, and then they decided to check it out. This, that, and the third. And I mean, maybe his teammates are okay with that. I, I don't know. I just find that to be a tough, tough pill to swallow. If I'm Masai, you know what, though, if I'm on the one other of his side teammates. Of that coin, this is a guy who's put in so much of his like sweat and hustle into this team and like has gone back up that you know, I think that maybe his judgment wasn't the best on dealing with this injury, but I think that Raptor fans, we gotta give Kyle Lowry the benefit of the doubt man this is a guy who's gone to war for this team and like if you believe him and if you believe the diagnosis like he's gonna play in the playoffs like I don't know at what level but that's a guy who you're it's not like he wants to be it's not like he doesn't want to be on the court you know it's not like he's lollygagging or anything definitely and and we know that Kyle Lowry's not going to be the guy that's gonna like hold himself out of the playoffs we know if he's able to play He's going to play. That's one thing we can trust and have faith in the fact that Kyle Lowry is going to go down fighting, right? Like an injury is not going to keep him out if there's a way that he can play. Will he be 100%? That might be another story. What I'm saying here, though, is like just the, the, the judgment somewhere along the way to say, hey, maybe I should check this out. Like if it's that bad that you know you're icing it down or maybe the team sees that he's icing it down. I mean, it wasn't something that I noticed during the All-Star game. No. That's for sure. Right? Yeah. I didn't notice it at all until people went back and uh, started looking looking through and I guess they paid attention and noticed that he was icing his wrist. But I mean, somewhere along the way, it's just it just kind of sucks, I think, right? And I think the momentum of it all that the team was building this momentum, making these great moves, and everyone was waiting to see how this team at full strength with the new additions would do, right? As a legitimate contender. Not saying they were primed to beat Cleveland, but at least they were giving themselves a better chance, right? Hey, with with Kevin Love injured, they could have, you know, in a perfect world made a run at the number one spot in the East, but these things break the way they do, you know? Very true. And speaking of Cleveland, uh, do you have any thoughts at all of them at, about them adding both Andrew Bogut and Daron Dar- Darren Williams? Uh, you know, I hey, it's a smart move by them, and it, it looks like the Knicks too. Like they cut Brandon Jennings. Brandon Jennings is available, and there's rumors that Derrick Rose is available now. Talking about the Raptors, might need to add some point guard depth. Do any one of the, those two names do anything for you in a Raptor uniform? Brandon Jennings, maybe? To, to Can be I honest, you into Brandon Jennings? No, no. To be honest, I'm okay with them just rolling with the point guards they got. And right. not so much because, you know, I have faith in Corey, DeLon, and Van Fleet to, to ball out of control or anything like that. I would just rather develop all three of those young guys and roll you know, roll with the punches as, as so what happens. You know what I mean? I think like the growth and those guys getting major minutes, especially a guy like DeLon, right. Who hasn't really gotten a a full chance 
you know, like someone like Bebe has to get right. a lot of minutes, consistent minutes, right? Or Norm has in terms of getting consistent minutes. And I just think it'll be such a it's such a better look to get those guys than getting someone like a Brandon Jennings who would just be marginally better than those guys anyways. But, right? Like even but, if he is better, it's not gonna be that much better. It's not gonna make a difference. You know what I mean? I don't think point. in my you, in my you don't want to wrap up you don't want to wrap up any like unwanted cap space and guys who are just gonna be marginally better than the ones that you already have, you know? Exactly. And and uh the other thing with the Raptors, I mean DeMar DeRozan. Wow. Wow. Like I, I tweeted out after his performance against the Knicks where he was just going crazy and yeah. you know, he's taking bad shots, but they're going in. I always reference him the Kobe shots and I tweeted out after the game. Ah. I swear he just bumps Kanye's verse from that part. Walking living <laughs> legend, man, I feel like Kobe. Right? Like he <laughs> is just like he it's just Kobe shots. Like he modeled his game after Kobe Bryant. No? Yeah. And yeah, and we've seen like Pete Kobe take over games. And like I said, you know, with Larry on the shelf, down this stretch run, we're really going to see what DeMar DeRozan can do, I think. I think he's taken his game to another level this season, and I think that like he can really he can really do some damage against some teams and, and get some wins just on the strength of his shoulders. So we'll see what he's got down the stretch. I'm really excited, man. If they can make a run at two, that would be sweet. If Boston starts to fade and Washington comes back down to earth, you know, who knows? Yeah, and I mean, as I said, I'm worried now about like the outlook of the season, but I will be calmed by again the additions of Serge Ibaka and especially PJ Tucker. And oh, he's a I want to, yeah, I want to get on the the bandwagon of boosting PJ Tucker before everyone else jumps on, probably just like they did with Bismack, because I think PJ Tucker on a different level will give the Raptors so much, and you won't see it in a box score, right? Because he might have five rebounds yeah, in no, a like, game. Look at tonight. Look at tonight. I mean, I think he only had like. Four points, but he had like three steals, you know? But he had like three massive, massive rebounds at the end of the game. He had a steal off, uh, a couple steals off of Carmelo late. Like, just the intangibles that he brings. And I hate that because, like, I made the joke about wanting to hear, uh, Don Cherry discussed PJ Tucker's compete level or whatever those hockey guys say. But, like, like, it actually is a great example of it, of those intangibles. When you watch a guy like that play, it just, all hustle all the time and again he's a grown man and i know that that might just sound like some form of bs but he's gonna make the right pass he's gonna box out he's gonna do all those little things that you might get mad at or how many times you've watched a raptor game and watched a guy score an easy backdoor cut or you know not get boxed out and dunk a rebound or something like that like those things are going to be minimized because you have a guy like that who's not focused on you know just getting a shot off or whatever he's focused on playing defense what i love is that like late down the stretch in the fourth quarter you can take out jv and put in pj tucker yeah you know after and he's going to give you just like a completely different look at, at at the other team's best players than jv will it's great i love him yeah, you are not on Team JV. I do know that, right, Webby? I, I'm not wrong. He has been playing a lot better, though, in the second half of the season. I mean, he had, a, in my opinion, a pretty bad start, but he started a pretty bad start to the season, but he's starting to get it together now. He's starting to let that little jumper outside on the like free throw line. Like, that's nice. He's got a good inside outside game. I just thought I, he could just be cleaning the boards. We've seen him like bring down like 16 rebounds in a game. I just want to see double digit rebounds from JV consistently. I know he can do it. 
Yeah, and I mean, maybe the moves have, have kind of given him a little jolt too because he knows now like he has even less margin for error if he wants to yeah. continue to get minutes. And Absolutely. yeah, and if you're Jonas Valanciunas, like I think they're playing it perfectly in the sense where they're going to play the matchups. And hey, you might end up in the playoffs where you have to match up with a big guy and he's going to come in handy because you're going to need his scoring because in the playoffs, things tighten up. And so it won't be this freewheeling. Oh, I mean, especially now without Lowry, it's not going to be this freewheeling offense where you're just jacking up threes. It's going to be a half court game. Possessions are going to be so much more important and you might need a big guy to dump it down to. And he can still be a very important part of this team. So, I mean, it's important to keep his confidence up, even though he might not be getting those consistent minutes, especially down the stretch. And he's a good playoff weapon, too. I think he really cut his chops in the postseason last year. And it's like, uh, it's an atmosphere, it's an environment for JV that he's not afraid of. Like, he's had success in the postseason, and I think that he'll be able to duplicate that once we get there. For sure. And it's just going to be tough for him to get used to the fact, because I don't think he's going to play crunch time minutes at all. Like, once they got uh, Serge Ibaka, I was like, yeah. JV's yeah. crunch time minutes, like he has no chance. But, now, right? but like I say, he's like still a weapon that you can bring in if you need him. For sure, for sure. And at at best, if they get their substitution patterns in order, maybe he gets more minutes against second units and he becomes even more valuable in that sense, right? Like, who knows? Like Casey, Casey gets ripped a lot, but, you know, I think he's done an amazing job with this team and giving him more defensive weapons as he's a defensive coach will only help Coach Casey down the stretch, I think. Yeah, and he's, he's had to like shuffle shuffle the lineups a couple of times, and I don't mind his decision-making there. It's like the, it's the set plays that drive me nuts, coming out of timeouts and inbound situations that Raptors seem to struggle with. For sure, and I've had this conversation a lot with a, lot, a bunch of different people too, and my whole thing is we just assume that like he's calling isos and i don't think he is like he's calling a play and demar and kyle have the option of passing the ball after they go across the screen they just don't right so it looks like it's just an iso play and it's like why did they just call another iso play it's like well there is a guy rolling to the basket demar just chooses not to and to dribble four more times and set up his fadeaway jumper and as long as it goes in nobody's gonna complain But when he misses, it's then why is Casey only calling ISO plays, right? Like it, it's such a like tough balance. But I mean, that's also what makes sports great because as fans, we get to armchair coach, right, and watch and and think that we could call better plays. Exactly, and you're absolutely right. That's what we're here to do. Um, from armchair coaching to armchair uh i guess i would call it judges of mc battles we want to switch gears here to the thing that was gonna be so smooth man your transition game is just is on a hundred percent right now hey i'm I'm trying to improve you know (laughs) if if we're not improving then we're not trying right then we're not trying exactly no great point point. So, so the the topic that i thought was gonna be the biggest story come monday morning i know Remy Ma, Nicki Minaj, Minaj must have moonlight posters up in her room right? for that Oscars to go the way it did and completely take a slaying, a rap. We haven't had a good rap slaying in a while, Sheldon. It's and true. We got one this weekend. We really did. So I didn't know what was going on on Saturday. Like I just, I know it kind of snuck up on me too. Yeah, because like I, on Twitter, 
Do you know when the song actually got released? Was it Friday night or more Saturday afternoon? I'm not even sure when the song got released. I started seeing tweets about it Sunday, Saturday morning afternoon. Yeah, and so I just saw it on Twitter and I saw people talking about it. And then I obviously now it's so easy to find anything on Twitter. I was like, Sheether. I was like, okay. And then listen to the track. And I was just, it was oh, one of those the things. Beat kicks in, you know, you're in for, once the Ether beat comes on, man, that's it. Well, here's the thing. I saw people tweeting about it. And so it's like, okay, Remy Ma had a diss track and everyone was going so overboard about how hard it was. And it was so good. And in this era, I'm like, ah, I don't really fall for that. Right. I'm like, ah, oh, they're just exaggerating, whatever. And then right, I listened right. to the track. I was like, damn, like she went in. Like we, yeah, you're right. Like we haven't heard anything like that in a long too. time. Sorry. Just for like six minutes too. It's not a short song. She she airs out a lot of dirty laundry. A lot of dirty laundry. It was so crazy in the sense that like, you know, again, my expectations when, especially after hearing, it's like La La Land. Everyone's going to tell me La La Land's a great movie. I have no interest still of seeing La La Land. None. Nothing. Ever. I mean, you tell me Remy Ma has a diss track. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll check that out later. But then everyone's like, no, it's so good. It's so good. And you're seeing the memes were amazing. And then I'm like, all right, let me, let me check this out. And it lived up to the hype and more. If you're Nikki, do you respond to this? Or do you just let it slide? As of now, as of like midnight uh, uh, Tuesday morning, like we've got no response from Nikki. You know, it's been other people kind of like you get Iran, you get like Tory Lanez has been, uh, 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 you know, talking about it. Uh, the game was tweeting about it. Meek Bill was liking memes. It's all this. What what this diss track really did for me was like, okay, now I got to watch Love and Hip Hop, you know, <laughs> because I'm missing out on storylines. 100. percent They're like. Fucking Joe Budden was talking about this. I'm Joe Budden? What? Well, well, that's how like sad it's kind of gotten in the hip-hop game where you know people were trying to get excited over the Joe Budden versus Drake uh, beef that was going on, right? And Joe Budden had yeah, a couple on, tracks man, for Drake. This isn't 2005 anymore. Like, what is Joe Budden doing? But it just wasn't that good. Like, it was all right. It was all right. But it wasn't right. like none of the songs were really that great. And if we've learned anything from the Drake and Meek Mill thing, not that Meek came with like crazy bars for Drake, but I also think it didn't really matter what happened in that situation. No, Drake was going to win. Have the, you have the court of public opinion on your side if you're Drake. Exactly. Like, even if you even if you get rooks in a battle, like everybody's going to come to your side. You know, like Meek was Meek was it was lose lose for Meek. Yes, and I think one of the things that uh, Remy did that was smart in this situation, which Meek didn't do in his responses to Drake. Remy made a song that it was kind of easy to not sing along to. Maybe it was the fam- familiarity of it being ether, you know, people yeah, could kind of have the same familiar. vibe to it. Yeah. But like the thing that made back to back so good was that it was such an easy, I don't want to say cat in a hat type rhymes, but it was very like simplistic in the sense that it was, it'd be easy to remember, easy to, uh, pick up on and learn the words or even for you to just understand what she was what drake was saying it was so easy whereas meek mill came with the same flow the same hard beats and it, it was kind of like that really weird like undertaker gong beat and it was yeah. like you're like oh man you could have come with something a lot better that than like you know that the people would recognize than like undertaker's theme music 
But you know what I mean? Like even just a flow where like the average fan, not the diehard hip hop fan, but the average hip hop fan, or should I say the 2017 hip hop fan, you know, would have trouble picking up everything that he's saying. I think Remy did a good job in following in that Drake mold where, you know, it's easy for you to understand what she's saying. Like you're catching all of those one-liners that she's just burying Nikki with on an assortment of topics. And then having the insider information from Meek was so key. I mean, what's true, what's not true, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. matter. Beefs have always been the case, right? Even if you go back to... to, you know, Ice Cube and uh, against NWA and all that stuff, right? Like, yeah, people just go in and say what's say what they want to say, and you know, I guess let the people decide or let you respond if you're going to respond to what's being said in 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 the battle. Well, the other thing is too, like nowadays with like technology and like living online, like we do. I got to tell you, and you can pull my card on this one if you got to, but I went to rap genius as soon as I was done listening to the rap track, just to like exactly read what all the like little references meant and stuff like that, you know? Cause like some of it was going over my head, like a lot of it I understood, but it was just vicious. I loved it. I, I, I really loved it. And we like, like you say, like Meek, Meek and Drake was okay, but like we really haven't had something that came with this kind of like, I don't know, cutting, biting, like she got, she got taken to the cleaners, Nikki. It was awesome. For sure. Right. And like Meek and Drake, like for the most part, what Drake was saying was jokes, right? Like he's, he's yeah. actually like, not, not to make him sound like a comedian or anything, but like. But the majority- personal. Yeah, and like it was still on a level of is that a girl is that a world tour, your girls tour, like whatever, right? Like he's still making it was like jokes. Whereas like this is just like straight shots, right? Like with the stuff she's talking about, Nikki's brother, you know, like personal stabs, right? And and like the ass shots and pedophilia and shit. It's there's a lot of lot of talk about fake butts. I I was a big fan of fake butt rap. (laughs) I like that. That's a good. That's a good diss if you can throw on on somebody like yeah, your ass is fake. Like that's really good. And like how it was dipping, and they needed to re put in the ass shots, and meat couldn't have <laughs> sex for three. Like all these like crazy, crazy. Like just if you haven't listened to it, take seven minutes of your life. You know, after you listen to this great podcast, of course, of course, of course, of course. right. Take seven minutes and, and just give yourself a listen. If you're a hip hop fan, if you're not a hip hop fan. Go back to your iTunes playlist and listen to some Ariana Grande or whatever you listen to in your free time. Which, hey, I'm not judging. If that's your thing, that's your thing. But in term, if you're a hip-hop fan and if you're of a certain age around our age where you remember... You got, no, it doesn't matter who's battling. You're always going to check it out. You got to like, check it out. to see who came hard at who. You like, know, that's it. I mean, that's part of the culture. That's part of the hip-hop culture. Like, can you best somebody out there when you put your nuts on the table? Exactly. You know, and Remy Ma put her pair right on the table, and we got to see if Nikki's going to respond. And I, I'll be honest, too. I was kind of worried about, and there's a lot of this floating around on social media about, like, which we just assume is generational, obviously. We had a lot of people talking about, well, Nikki has more money, Nikki sells this, uh, oh, the Fat no. Joe Remy that, album didn't sell that. anything. All these things that have nothing to do with the oh. actual diss track, which is what like pure hip hop and emceeing is about. And I know in this era, it's not as much about that, but it should be. And not to talk, not to sound like the get off my lawn guy again, 
But like, I miss that generation of hip hop, right? Where it's just about rhymes. Absolutely. No, I mean, and, and when you get even a little taste of that kind of old school business going on in today's rap game, like you're all over it. You know, you want to see if these guys who are like super popular and are like all over Twitter, if they can hang in the way that it was meant to be done, then you get a little more respect for them. You know, I think. So again, there's, there's two sides to this. Okay. If you're Nicki Minaj, do you respond to this or do you just say, why would I respond to her? I'm way big. I'm more big time than her. I don't have to say anything, and you just let it go. Which side well, of the card it, it would you play if you were Nicki Minaj? How does Nicki see herself? Does she see herself as like the rap queen, or does she see herself as a pop star? Hmm. Because she's had a lot of success, kind of towing that line. For sure. And right now, it, like Remy Ma, like she kind of said, you know, like, all right, which one are you? Like, are you going to come back, or are you going to say I can sleep on my huge bed of money and I don't really need to? I saw someone make this point on Twitter and they said Jay never really fully responded to anyone unless he thought they were on his level. He might right. throw a bar at someone here and there. You know what I mean? He might throw a bar at someone here and there, but he only he saved the full tracks for Nas, who at the time they were on they were kind of sort of on the same level, right? Yeah, somebody like you would put them kind of one two in the game at that point when they came out with ether and super ugly which was just and what was the other one? Oh, takeover takeover crazy right like crazy yeah. times like that takeover with that takeover beat hits i was i've lost it so so crazy. <laughs> so good like if so i'm nikki though i don't i don't know i see it so differently like i don't i don't know i'm 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 for the culture, so I, I'm like, you got to respond. I wanted to respond, yeah. Yeah, you got to respond. And the thing, too, like, she probably has a lot of dirt on Meek that she could hit off Meek with a little bit of one-two there as well, right? Just for oh. just for taking taking sides, you know? And, you know, is the other thing is we're talking about who's going to write Nikki's raps for Right? Yeah, There's always been okay. those stories out there, you know, about does she actually write her rhymes? Was it Safari? Was it Lil Wayne? Was it Drake? Right. You know, like, which obviously uh, Remy alluded to as well. But I just think, I, I love this. It was one thing to see Fat Joe back performing at the NBA All-Star yeah. Game. Right? Let's go, Fat Joe. Let's Looking go. very, like, medium, like, maybe just overweight Joe now. Like, <laughs> he's, lost, he's lost a lot of pounds. He's looking good, man. Fat Joe doing work uh switching gears here with our beef but sticking with the same topic of still that beef Shaq and your boy javel mcgee uh just to catch everyone up in case you're unaware of what's been going on and what's been a crazy weekend last thursday night if you follow the nba then you know that javel mcgee has become somewhat of a mascot of the league over the past few years he's a human highlight low light machine Ooh, i like that I like that. Yeah. Human low light machine. I like that. And JaVale McGee has been kind of the star of a segment that they do every Thursday night on TNT's uh, Inside the NBA. And the segment is called Shacked and a Fool, which basically they just go through about five of the worst bloopers of the week in the NBA. Every single week for the past three years, JaVale McGee has been a huge part of the segment. And they of kind course. of double Finding down on, on there frequently. 
for sure. And they kind of doubled down on it and did a full uh, segment on just JaVale McGee last Thursday, which I guess JaVale had enough. And he took to Twitter to let Shaq know that he wasn't really cool. And I mean, these guys, like, it went pretty hard, right? It yeah, went back and they, forth. Like, and, sorry, and there were, like, threats to fight and stuff. Yeah, right? Which, like, <laughs> I mean, just the fact that this all happens on Twitter is crazy in the year 2017. But that is a reality where you have a professional athlete and a Hall of Famer athlete who is now turned analyst. And they are arguing, beefing, for lack of a better term, on Twitter. Now, the big reason why I bring this up is because I thought it was the wackest move of all to have the Golden State Warriors front office reach out to the head of Turner Sports to get Shaq to stop. I think that was the lamest thing ever. You're absolutely right. Like, that is such a snitch move that it, like, it really rubs me the wrong way about that team. Now, like, does JaVale McGee have legit beef with Shaq over this? Like, sure, like, Shaq, like, I'm sure he was, it was all in good fun. And, like, listen, the segment's called Shaq and a Fool. If you mess up, you're going to end up on it. And maybe he was a little more pointed at JaVale than, than he should have been. But, like, man, these are two grown adults. Like, they can settle it themselves rather than having the team complain to the network that Shaq has to stop involving JaVale McGee. Like, that, I mean, even today, they went to their moms, you know? And that's fine. Okay, go to your mom. That's cool. But, like, getting the, the corporate, like, network involved, man, that rubbed me the wrong way for sure. I just didn't understand how it could possibly get to that point. Like, they do a blooper segment, and my guy makes a lot of bloopers, right? Like, if he was making a bunch of great plays and they did the best plays of the week, he'd be on that segment. But you, and know, you what? know what? He's he not- has been. He's a professional NBA player, and he's been in the league for a long time. Like, I don't feel bad about making fun of this guy who's kind of like doing this dumb stuff. Because if you do dumb stuff, especially on a nationally televised game, guess what? We're going to show it. Because for sure. It's funny. Exactly, right? And that's the thing, too. The like, People kind of made it seem as if – I know it's called Shaq and a Fool, but Shaq's not sitting there combing through <laughs> – NBA highlights and being like, I need more JaVale McGee plays. Like <laughs> he works with a producer or probably like an intern or something who's like going through finding plays that are funny to put in every week. And it just so happened that over the past three years, JaVale McGee's made a lot of funny plays, right? Like, and so Shaq's doing that. And I, I'm kind of all on Shaq's side here, right? Like, cause if I'm doing these segments and it's funny and whatever, like I understand that you might get mad about it, but don't come at me on Twitter. Like, what are you talking? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, and if I'm Shaq, I'm like, who's JaVale McGee? Right? Like, you can't be coming at me like that on on uh, on Twitter, acting tough now. And I agree with Shaq. Now that you're on a good team, you want to talk up. Yeah. You're still JaVale McGee. That doesn't change. Here, Here's the thing. You don't want to be on Shaq and a fool, JaVale McGee. Stop doing Shaq and a fool things. It's you know, really simple. It's a really easy way to not be on Shaq and a fool anymore. It's really simple. What do you think of Kevin Durant coming out and sticking up for his teammate? Well, like, hey, I mean, did you listen to the Bill Simmons podcast with Kevin Durant? I know I'm on I a lot of podcasts talking about Bill's podcast, but did no, you no, happen no. to hear that interview? I did, and it was really good. And hold on, yeah, we, we really, are unpolished and unapologetic. There are no rules. We can talk about whatever we want we on this. Talk about whatever we can talk about podcasts, whatever. All right, good. So uh, I thought Kevin Durant was really like forthcoming in that interview, and like 
it really gave a good like insight to who he is as a dude. And like, you know, he wasn't bullshitting around and like he was answering honestly. And I mm-hmm. think that he's so comfortable now as a superstar and as a member of the NBA and really like one of the greats we have in the league that he can have his personality come out a little bit more. And I think you saw that in the comments about Shaq, where he was kind of dissing Shaq's game. He was like, well, that wouldn't really fly in today's NBA. He was just bigger and stronger than everybody, push him, push him around. I have no problem with Durant saying that, you know, because he's earned his stripes. All right? And he's, he's been through the wars, and he's one of the best players in the NBA. And, like, he can say what he wants to say about, about Shaq. I mean, if I, found, if I heard that, that Durant was the one that went to Turner to, to snitch on Shaq, then, you know, I'm not really down with that. But he came to the, he came out and he was like, listen, I don't, I don't buy into that. Like Shaq's garbage. I'm better kind of thing. And I've got no problem with that. Uh, first off, you're writing to sh- give a huge shout out to Bill Simmons. Cause that was a great, great oh, interview. Unbelievable. And I've never heard Kevin Durant that uh, relaxed either. Like there were even points where he was swearing. And like as yeah. I was listening, it like I like kind of jumped because it caught me so off guard. Because you never hear an athlete that relaxed or that candid uh, during an interview. Uh, I think part of that too is just Kevin Durant is at a point where I think LeBron reached a couple years ago, where there's just zero fucks given at this point, right? Like you're not exactly. so worried about how you're perceived in the media. If you're the nice guy or the bad guy, you kind of realize that whatever. Some people are gonna like you. Some people aren't. Whatever. You're, you can't really control that, right? So why waste time caring? On the flip side, though, while I agree with Durant being able to say whatever he wants and he can do that, I think you got to like, you know, Shaq's a Hall of Famer. Shaq has four rings. Shaq like, uh-huh. Shaq's resume is legit, legit, legit. And to kind of uh-huh. say that Shaq didn't have skills, you know, and he was just bigger and stronger than everyone, like, I get the point you're trying to make, but come on, man, like Shaq, well, and you're talking about Shaq's an era. One, Shaq's one of the all-time greats. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to deny that, but like, I'm totally down with Durant's like, uh, right, almost right to say that. Like, for sure. for sure. I mean, the guy's got his own opinions. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with that sentiment for sure. And, and I mean, uh, it was a thing that who used to say it all the time? It was like, uh, you can't get mad at athletes for being boring and then crush them when they actually say something that's out of the norm. Right. And so I applaud Kevin Durant for saying whatever he wants. And even, you know, remember this was something that he did with Russell Westbrook a lot too. When people were going at Russ, was it Mark Cuban during the playoffs? Yeah. And Durant kind of just cut him off and he was there to stick up for his teammates. So it's cool on that angle to see him do that for a guy like JaVale McGee. Like Russ can obviously handle himself and Russ was a big time guy. Cool. JaVale McGee might not be on that same level. And so it's important to see one of the bigger guys in the league kind of step up and and have the back of his lesser teammate, right? Exactly. And you wouldn't say that maybe going into the press and talking shit about a former player is a form of maturity, but like you're right, having your teammates back like that is something that Kevin Durant showed throughout his career. And I think that's a mature thing to do is stick up for your teammates like that. Definitely. And like, it's just crazy when we think of all the things that we just talked about <laughs> in, on this podcast. You're talking about beef between uh, Hall of Famer and a role player on Twitter right. threatening to fight each other when they see each other. The beef being squashed by both of their moms. <laughs> then we go back to Kyle Lowry taking part in an all-star game 
and three-point shootout, which he lost terribly, to come back to his team and be out for the season when the All-Star break is supposed to be when you get rest for the second half of the season. In fact, the exact opposite and worst-case scenario happened to the Toronto Raptors. Then you have the Oscars, which was just a clusterfuck on its own. Just an amazing, amazing couple days. And I left out the Remy Ma and... Nicki Minaj of course, battle. Remy Ma got in a, in a rap battle with Nicki Minaj. Like, it's just a crazy, crazy time. And I'm just glad, Webby, that we got to catch up and, you know, Real get deep a, on it, really flesh it out, really get to the bottom of it. I really some, think we did. Get some hot takes out. Did I forget anything? Is there anything else that you wanted to, you know, go spit some Moonlight. fire on? Go see Moonlight. Okay. Go see, see Moonlight. Moonlight. I will do it's that. the best picture winner. It's the best picture winner. What? It's true. I do have a reason to go see that now. And again, shout out to Adnan Verk because that was awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. Yo, it goes down in, in lore now as like being on that backstage show and they all reacted to it. Yeah. And he's the only one that realized what was going on and was so quick to, to like point out to everyone else because the other thing we were talking about today was how difficult of a job it is. But you see entertainment reporters kind of struggle. And the reason yeah. for that is because most of the stuff they do isn't live. Whereas this, it's not like sports, right? It's not like sports where most of the time you see all those presenters and they're on live. There is no turning back. So there's, I feel like there's a different level of preparation or it's just like a different skill set, let's say, than when you're hosting eTalk or uh, you oh, know, yeah. eNews or whatever. And you can do a taped on camera and you mess up and you can keep going or you're reading off a teleprompter. Like Verk was like, it was a, it was a perfect, uh, like intersection of sports and pop culture because you had this Absolutely. guy there and he was kind of calling it like it was a buzzer beater. Like, Oh my gosh, they just switched it. They just, sw-. it was so good. If you haven't seen that, Ver- check that out. Verky also goes right to the Steve Harvey. He goes just like Steve Harvey. <laughs> exactly. Right. Just quickly summing up exactly what everyone thought. Uh, yeah. That's great. And I mean, a perfect way to wrap things up talking about one of our Canadians making it big in our down South, instead of talking about two Canadians that failed and came back to Canada, (laughs) but I'm just going to let that slide there not go deeper on that. (laughs) I'm just going to, I'm just going to let that slide. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the on blast podcast, unpolished and unapologetic until next time. Peace. See ya. My whip drop, like bitches asses, cargo, ready to package, paid up, I see haters watching, so fucking turn it up, let these bitches drop.